special greetings today to our friends at the River Cross in St. John. And thank you so much for supporting the Carters and the Kennys. There's so many amazing things that God is doing and we're so grateful for your support. Now pay careful attention to this video. There will be a cameo appearance of a very famous family. Christmas is really special, but as Christ followers, this season holds the greatest hope imaginable. Emmanuel, God with us. And we get to share this hope in concrete ways. It looks like food for hungry people, education for children, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing brings more joy than seeing the delight of a person receiving a thoughtfully chosen gift. When you give a gift from CBM's Hopeful Gifts for Change catalog, each item offers more than just delight. It travels from your heart and offers hope and renewed life to the person who receives it. Meet one family that has seen firsthand the impact giving has on children, especially their own. Well, the Christmas season can be a challenge. Sometimes it feels like commercialism overshadows the real meaning of the season. Joe and I as parents have tried to be intentional about how we can teach our kids about the needs of others, as well as how we can look for opportunities to reveal the gracious and compassionate heart of God. And the Hopeful Gift for Change catalog has helped our family do this in a real tangible way. We like how it gives us opportunity to talk about issues like poverty and injustice. And we really like how it gives us an alternative understanding of gifts and gift giving at Christmas time. From the time I was little, I realized that we could give a gift here and it would get opened there by someone who really needs it. And I learned that our gifts can make a huge difference for a family and a community like ours. Well, the CBM gift catalog has allowed us to have a conversation about giving gifts um, to our children in a way that really reflects our faith. We've all grown up understanding what good can happen when you're generous about sharing what you have. This is part of the holidays for us in a family tradition. These are gifts that will make an impact for a lifetime. Please give today at hopefulgifts.ca. There's catalogs available in the foyer if you're looking for gift ideas this season, if maybe there's some people in your life who are really hard to shop for or who have everything. This is a great idea. Um, you can come and there's, you can buy farming tools for people um, who need those. You can sponsor a pastor in a third world country who's trying to go to seminary and get education. You can buy school supplies. You can sponsor uh, refugee families in other countries that are being cared for by local churches there. And you make a donation and the money goes straight to them. And so these catalogs are available and I would encourage you to pick one up if you're looking uh, to make use of one over the holiday season. We've used them for years, uh, gifting gifts to family who have everything or teachers sometimes or, or whatever, but it's a great catalog. And you know, it's part of our response as a congregation uh, to be a part of the mission work of God around the world. You'll see in the foyer also a lovely display that our missions committee has put together that shows you some of the places in which God is at work around the world that we're a part of. And each year we as a congregation set a goal to raise a certain amount of money that we're just going to give away to projects that are going on here locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And when you come to the church meeting tomorrow night, right, 
You'll hear about those, and we'll talk about them a little bit. And it's important for you to know what we're trying to be a part of so that you can be supporting it and be praying for it as well. So I would encourage you to pick one of these catalogs up and uh, just be supporting our mission work in general. You know, some people ask how they give to missions. On your offering envelope, there's a thing called Current. That line item goes to support all the work that we do together. And then there's one called Missions. And that work goes directly to all of those projects that we support around the world. It's not our hope mission. It's mission projects around the world. And so we encourage you uh, to be giving that way and to help us make our budget so that we can uh, just continue to see the way God um, is just blessing people um, and just doing so many exciting, exciting things. And one of the great privileges for us as a church is that we get to learn from those projects as we see God working overseas in new and creative ways and how churches are banding together and do exciting things. And we get to learn from them and benefit from it so that we can figure out how to do some of those things here. So let me just say a quick prayer for, for that work and, and then we'll continue. God, we are grateful that we get to partner together with churches from across this country to accomplish real exciting things around the world. And we realize we could not do it on our own. We realize we could not do it unless you blessed it. And so we thank you for the chance that we have to participate. And we pray that our eyes would be opened to the many, many exciting ways you were working. And God, that we would learn and be humble and learn that we could be more effective um, in our own ministry here in St. John because of what we're learning from folks around the world. And so thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. Typically, he tried to avoid any of his company's parties. But the Christmas party was different because it was where they handed out the Christmas bonus. So everybody attended. He was standing against the wall. He had one of those red plastic silo cups. He was holding it. And the boss was giving some year-end speech that was much longer than it needed to be. Something about teamwork and thanks for a great year. But he was just kind of standing there, taking it all in, waiting for it to be over. Because it dawned on him for the very first time in, a, in just a few minutes, he was off for two weeks. Two weeks of kind of getting up when he wanted, having a leisurely breakfast that would lead to a leisurely lunch, and, and a day kind of filled with spending time with family, doing some things with his friends, and he just realized it was so close. As he was standing there, he started to remember just how much he loves Christmas. That even as a little kid, it was such a special time of year for him. There were so many traditions that they had, so many things that he and his family did together, hobbies, serving folks, meals at the, at the Hope Mission. It was such a special time of year. And he was one really long speech away from two weeks off. While he was standing there, Bill from accounting kind of sides up beside him and joins him there leaning against the wall, plastic cup in hand, and they exchange the usual kind of pleasantries of the holiday season and kind of the Christmas banter back and forth. But it was one question that he asked Bill in particular that caught his attention. He made some statement, something like, Bill, um, are you looking forward to spending some time with family over the holidays? And it was Bill's response that caught him off guard because Bill said, no. Even Bill was surprised at his response and so he felt some need to explain it a little bit. He said, this Christmas season, it's decision time for my wife and I. Not whether or not to buy a cottage and not you know, to change our mix of our RSPs. It's time to decide if we're going to stay together. 
And then Bill went in and started to discuss a little bit about his story. And he talked about the fact that he and his wife had fallen in love in college. And they got married shortly after graduation. They both jumped into their careers and things were going well. And a couple of kids later, they experienced some financial difficulties that put a lot of stress and strain on them. There was a bout with breast cancer. One of their kids had some learning disabilities and required extra appointments and extra tutorials and extra time and attention. And this on top of everything else and just the grind of everyday life. And they just reached a point that they both could only agree on one thing. And that was this. Things cannot continue as they are now. And it occurred to him that not everybody looks forward to Christmas. So after Bill had kind of shared about all that he felt that he was going to share, and maybe it was a little too much, and in a way to kind of bring some resolve to what was a really awkward conversation, or at least just to get out of it, he looks down at his red cup, swirls his drink, and says to his friend, ah, I'm sure it'll all work out anyways. I'm sure it'll all work out anyways. Does that sound like hope to you? Is that what hope is, just kind of the power of positive thinking, having a stiff upper lip and just hoping that things will randomly or happenstance get better for us? Is hope just kind of the belief, well, hey, I pay my taxes and I'm a good person and, you know, um, I volunteer a little bit and if a cashier gives me more change back than, I, than is required, I'm honest and I return it right back. And all of those things bundled up together, it just means like the universe is going to be nicer to me than other people. It, is that what hope really is? It's an important question to answer because our life is hanging in the balance. Bill, in this story, his family is hanging in the balance. And so we need to have a question. Is there such thing as a hope? Is there something that's sturdy enough that we can count on that will see us through challenging and difficult times? We're starting our new Advent series today called All I Want for Christmas. And we're going to talk about the things that people really want but don't end up on their lists. No kid is ever going to fill out their little letter to Santa and write on it, All I Want for Christmas is hope and mail it off. A spouse or a child is not going to write hope on their wish list and submit it to somebody in hopes that someone will get it for them. And yet it's one of those things that people are really looking for. It's one of those things that's just such a deep, deep human need. And we're going to be looking this morning at a very untraditional Advent passage of Scripture, uh, the book of First Peter. First Peter was written by Peter, the one of the disciples that you read about in the Gospels. And he was writing to a group of Christians who lived in the city of Rome during a time of intense persecution. This was a difficult time to be a Christian in Rome. Nero was the governor at the time, and Nero was crazy. You want to go home and read some gory history? Go home and read about the history of Nero. There was some old housing stock, it was rumored, in the city of Rome that he wanted burned down so that he could build some new marble statues and some more buildings that would represent him that he could take the credit for. And so he set fire to parts of Rome. But he needed a scapegoat. He wasn't going to take the blame for burning Rome. And so there was this annoying bunch of do-gooders. This small band of people that called themselves 
Christians or little Christs who were living in the city of Rome, who were going around proclaiming this message and doing all these things. So Nero figured they would be a perfect group to pin the blame for this fire on, and he did. And the community rallied with Nero and blamed the Christians for the great fires in Rome. And they persecuted them. Sometimes just alienating them, sometimes not buying their goods and services and therefore running them out of business and in some cases physically abusing them and in some cases murdering them for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this difficulty that Peter writes to these Christians and offers them some hope. So let's turn together. First Peter chapter 3. If you're using a red Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page 1890. We'll start reading at verse 8 and just read to 15. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read it together. Finally, all of you, this is his words to those Christians, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For, and he quotes some uh, series of Old Testament passages, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When I read this passage, one of the things that strikes me right away is almost this odd sense that on one hand, Peter is writing to this Christian saying, look, when you're persecuted and going through these difficult times, don't retaliate. Don't return evil for evil. Don't return insult for insult. The kind of Jesus' words of turn the other cheek. Take the high road in the middle of this persecution. But then on the other hand, he says, be ready to give an account for this, for the hope that is in you. (laughs) It almost seems funny. When people are running you out of business, and telling their kids not to hang out with your kids, or physically hauling off to assault you, be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. Does it strike you as funny that these would be the two kind of sets of advice that Peter would give these people? But Peter knows this. I think it was true then, and I think it's true today. Even though people outwardly are participating in darkness or living in darkness, on the inside, they're looking for hope. On the inside, they're looking for hope. People today, even though they may not take Christianity seriously, even though they may scoff at the religious themes of this season, are truly wondering if there's more to life, if there's something substantial enough that they can hook their life to that will give them hope as they go forward. And I think it's especially to this time of year during the Christmas season. Christmas bounces a lot of checks. Christmas bounces a lot of checks. If you are 
35 and under today. Let me explain to you what a check is. Um, in the olden days, you would have a little piece of paper that would come from the bank, and if you were going to pay for something, you'd write, you know, the store's name and the amount on the little tiny box, and you would hand it to them, and you'd sign it. It was like a note from your mom saying, I promise to pay this money. And, uh, you know, in the off chance that when you handed in the check and they actually took it to the bank and cashed it themselves like six days later, um, if you no longer had money in your account at that time, the check would say to to bounce. You would bounce a check. There wasn't funds in the account to cover the amount. In the same way, Christmas bounces checks. So many people put their hope and expectations on the season, hoping that it's going to go just right. And the season cannot sustain the expectations that are placed on it. Maybe it's the hope of time off. Maybe it's the hope of getting that perfect, expensive gift that you've been leaving clips out around a house and maybe emailing uh, suggestions to certain people about. Maybe it's the Christmas parties. Maybe it's the ski trip. Maybe it's having some family around and all of the food. Maybe it's just the nostalgia of the season and just the perfect amount of winter snow. But all of it is the sense that if it goes just right, maybe it will fix that emptiness or that brokenness inside. And the truth is, Christmas can't sustain those expectations. In fact, psychologists have a phrase for what happens after Christmas. They call it the post-Christmas blues. And as we come back to these verses in 1 Peter, written to a group of people who are facing a tough season, a difficult, difficult time, there's so something so powerful that he offers to us in the midst of the hopelessness that was so prevalent in that day and so prevalent in our day too. And it's found here in verse 15. Revere Christ as Lord. In your heart, let Christ be Lord of all things. At the very center of who you are as you go through this difficult season, as you go into this season, allow Christ to be the Lord and the ruler of your life. He kind of creates a hope sandwich. <laughs> On the top, the top piece of bread in his hope sandwich is this. Um, he calls people not to retaliate, to be peaceful, to turn the other cheek, to be civil, and not return evil for evil. He gives them this command, and you ask, well, how do you do that? And then he says to them, be ready to give an account for your hope that is within you. And you think, well, how do I do that? And the centerpiece holding it all together is this idea of Christ being the center of our hearts. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, you're saying, I want to revere Christ as Lord of our heart. Deep, deep respect and admiration for Christ who calls the shots and whom we cherish as Lord of all things. And he kind of unpacks this in terms of what this looks like in the verses that come up, verse 21 and 22. Let me just read them for you quickly. Again, same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, 21 and 22, and they go like this. And he's just been kind of talking about water baptizing people. And he says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the promise of a good conscience or a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is now at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Peter kind of gives us three things here that lead to hope, that we can hang on to. And the first is this. People of hope have a clear conscience. People who hope have a clear conscience. Now this is only applicable to those few of you here today who struggle with guilt and regret. So the rest of you can check your email. 
do you know anybody? And all they want for Christmas is to be rid of some guilt in their life. Stop beating themselves up for their past mistakes or their present mistakes. Maybe it's parent guilt. Maybe it's marriage guilt. Maybe it's work guilt. Maybe it's spiritual guilt. But you've got a list of things that you regret and you just have focused on them. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and your past not being the first thing that's on your mind and your mistakes not being there on the forefront of your mind? And the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christ being Lord of our hearts is that Jesus, when he was crucified, it said he took all of our guilt and our shame was placed upon him on that cross, that horrific cross. That he bore all of our guilt and shame, which is to say that we don't need to bear it anymore. We don't need to live in it anymore. We don't need to revisit it anymore. And when someone tries to push it and remind us of it, we can say it's been dealt with. Christ dealt with it once and for all. It is, it's finished. And it's the gift that Christ gives to all of us to be free of all that guilt and shame. Or as Peter says here, to have a clear conscience towards God. To have that kind of peace and that kind of freedom in our life because of what Christ has done as Lord of our hearts. The next thing he talks about in these verses is the resurrection. Now, for most of us Christians, I think in our culture today, we just simply hear the word resurrection and we kind of think, well, that's that Easter story, which is odd talking about it on Christmas Day. Um, that's that Easter story, but it's kind of the, it's the thing that gets us the ticket to heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection and believing it is the thing that allows us to know that someday we'll go to heaven to be with Jesus and we'll be free from all these problems and worries. And that's what it's been reduced down to, but not so for these early Christians. For these early Christians, the resurrection had daily value and they lived with it every day. And it meant two things. The first thing it meant was that you can count on God. Before Jesus died, he said he would be resurrected. He was killed and he came back. We can count on him. Before Jesus died, he said he was going to give us the Holy Spirit that would empower us to do the kind of work that he's done. He was killed and he was resurrected and he gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And for those early Christians that were living at the crossroads of persecution and fear, that meant everything to them. The resurrection had today value, not just someday value. It meant that Jesus was just not a religious politician who made all of these promises and none of them ever came about. He was good on his word and he kept his promises. And as we've discovered, as we've read through the story, God is stubbornly loyal to his people. And maybe you're wondering today if God will be good on the promises that he's made to you. One of the most unread parts of the Christmas story is the very first chapter of Matthew. It's the genealogy. Probably very few of you have ever tried to commit it to memory or kind of recite it on a Christmas card that you're sending to somebody. But it's all about God's faithfulness. Every name, every name, every name is a testimony to the faithfulness of God and that you can count on him. And to us, we look at them and it's just a bunch of names that we can barely even pronounce. To the people in Jesus' day, when they read that list, they said, yes, God came through in his life. Yes, God came through in her life again and again 
and again. And not only that, many of these people and many of their stories, there was a long delay while people were waiting and they were wondering, is God going to come through for us? And that's the exact testimony of that genealogy list. God is at work even sometimes when we don't see it. And for these early Christians, the resurrection meant we can count on God. Even though it's tough, even though it's difficult, even though I don't know how it's going to end, we can count on him. The other thing the resurrection meant for these people is that they had access to power that they had no, other, no means of getting in any other way. The resurrection gives us God's power at work in our life. People who are hopeful realize that when they get to the end of the rope, it's not the end of the story because God has promised to us his power to be at work in our lives. That God will provide even when, when we, we run out, even when we get to the end of our rope. Ephesians says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in those of us who believe. And so can you imagine any scenarios as you look forward to this Christmas season where you could possibly run out of rope? Where you could need the Lord's power to be at work in your life? Maybe it's you find yourself in a Christmas gathering with some family members there where there's some unforgiveness. And you just need the Lord's power to be at work in you to be forgiving and gracious and loving. Maybe it's a situation where you just simply need to hold your tongue when you're around a certain person and the Lord's power will enable you there. Maybe it's the power of restraint from overspending or overeating or the power to carve out some time so that the Christmas season could be spiritually renewing for you. But the point is this, God longs to give you what you need so that you can experience his life and joy even amongst a challenging season. But for most Christians, and the testimony of the New Testament is not only just, you know, hey, we're gonna help you get through a tough time, but God gives people his power so that they can be the message of hope in a difficult time. Even Peter says, hey, in the middle of this beating that you might get, God's gonna use you to shine a light. And for you and I, as we enter into a season that is so drenched with commercialism, that is so drenched with people trying to create this absolutely perfect Christmas experience where everything goes just as we planned so that we can hopefully, it'll make us feel better, Peter challenges us to say, this is our season as God's people to be the light, to show people what hope really looks like. In the Gospels, immediately after Jesus was resurrected, he calls his people, the church, to go out into the world and show everybody what a living hope looks like. Full of power, full of hope to serve others. Which means when you're sponsoring a family at Christmas, when you're registering people with dignity down at the Hope Mission, when you're praying with people who are going through a tough time, when you're serving a, a meal at the Hope Mission for Christmas dinner, when you're sponsoring a refugee family, inviting somebody to the Christmas musical or to Christmas Eve, or inviting a neighbor from across the street who has no family over into your home, you are being a living hope in a world that needs to see what hope looks like. Not only is this season a time for us to experience and to be reminded again that the Lord lives in rules as king of our hearts, and that we will experience that anchoring hope. But it's our opportunity to show it to other people. I love these verses in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's how Peter starts this off. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A hope that is alive. 
It's our opportunity, it's our privilege in this Christmas season not just to receive that hope, but to live it out so that others might see it and know that it's available to them too. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the substance of the hope that we have in Christ. That it's not just wishful thinking. It's anchored in a historic event. It's anchored in the person of Christ himself living within us. So Lord, I pray for those today for whom their hope is wavering and who have been wondering if maybe it'll hopefully just get better. But instead that they would put their hope and their trust in you and allow you to be living and ruling and reigning in their lives. And I pray that for each of us, as we go through this season, that the way we go through, the priorities that we set, that people will see a living hope in us. And that there would be opportunities for us to have conversations about where that hope truly lies. And we pray this in your name, amen.